Off trail, on trail, they're all one thing, aren't they? Hello, my name is Constantine, hiker, rambler, owner and founder of Eleven Skies. We created a podcast here to highlight and represent what it takes to make through hiking, long distance backpacking, adventures, outdoor life possible. Questions that focus on the how and the who, not necessarily the what. We all share this love for what we call the outdoors, but everybody's different. The diversity is what makes it wonderful. And just like the trails themselves, the diversity of how people make this life possible and how people continue to live the life that they truly love is what really has inspired us and makes us want to continue to learn about these people. So this is the Off Trail Podcast where, yeah, we might talk about trails from here and there. It's hard to make a hiker not ramble about trail systems, but mostly we're going to learn about the people. We're going to learn about what makes it possible and how they function and how they manage and how they strategize their time off trail, make on trail possible. Enough of our rambles. Let's just get into it, shall we? to the Off Trail Podcast. My name is Constantine, and today we have the one and only Slider on the show with us. So, Slider, thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So, I am going to try to pronounce your full name here, and I hope I do it right. So, it's Amy Slider's the trail name, Hunsucker. Is that correct? That is correct. Perfect. I'm, I'm getting names correct. It's going to be a good day today. So, <laughs> Slider has done a lot of hiking over the years, and um, from what I can tell, has been starting to evolve the life more around the outdoors, and that's what kind of really got me curious. And on top of that, the thing that really got me curious and wanted to have you on the show was the trombone, and we're going to get to that here shortly. But I can't say what she does, but she'll be able to say it way better than I will. So, Slider, we'll start off the show with a broad, open-ended question and see where you take it. So, first question, first question of the show is, who are you? Well, I... Really, the main things I do in my life are hike and play the trombone. <laughs> um, but when people ask me what do I do, I, that's pretty much what I give. What I most of what I do, <laughs> hike and play the trombone. Um, band was a very important part of my life. Like in middle school when I started it, and I just continued it on in college and. Uh, right before I started college, I got into backpacking, and then that took off a lot more than I thought it would, especially after my first through hike. So um, just found a way to combine the two. Was your first through hike the AT or was your first through hike, um, did you try to chew apart a smaller trail first? So my first through hike was the AT and my first backpacking trip was the AT as well. Oh no. Um, so I, <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm from South Carolina, so not too far from the trail. Okay. Um, and so my mom and I kind of got into backpacking at the same time. And when I went off to college, she would join up with some meetup backpacking groups. And on the weekends when I could, I would join in with them. Mm -hmm. And they were always weekend trips on the Appalachian Trail. And then I started reading books about AT hikers. And that piqued my interest in actually trying to through hike. What what part of South Carolina are you from? Because we, we share that in common. I'm, I'm a South Carolina boy as well, but you said close to the AT. From where I was, you still had to do like a five-hour drive. I'm assuming closer in that golden kind of corner of South Carolina, maybe? Not that close, but um, so I'm from Rock Hill, which is 30 minutes south of Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, yep. So probably around two and a half, three hours to get to the trail. Okay, not too bad. Yeah, you can kind of hop in the car a little day trip and then can make it into a back, uh, weekend trip as well. Yeah. This is going to be in no context in any type of way because the people listening are not going to understand this. Do you know, I forget his last name, so I don't even know why I'm asking this question. There's a guy named Austin that played hockey from Rock Hill. Did you ever, did your circles ever intertwine at all? If he wasn't in band, I probably don't know him. Okay. Yeah, that, that question. I don't even know why I put that in there. Just my own general curiosity. I, I, my mind my mind is my worst enemy sometimes. So the AT was your first through hike, and it sounds like your also first like long backpacking experience. Walk me through kind of the feelings leading up to that. Um, not You're not even yet on trail, but the emotions and feelings to make that decision. Yeah, so... 
when I was first doing just two day backpacking trips on the AT, I had zero interest in doing that for four months because a lot of those weekend trips were like really hard and I had a good time, but I couldn't imagine doing that for an extended period of time. But then my um, mom, she kept showing me these books by people who through hiked and reading those that piqued my interest. And the more I read more of them, the more I wanted to do it myself. And it just seemed like a really cool community of people. And yeah, it, it definitely is. I'm really glad uh, Glad I my interests went in that direction. Isn't that an interesting transition? I'm in the same thought field and same boat kind of as well as when I first started getting into hiking, weekend trips and day hikes really weren't my cup of tea. Like I... I, I I don't, I'm hesitant to say the word pointless, but sometimes it would just feel like I was pointlessly wandering there, that I didn't have a goal. But then it's the same activity, but longer. And somehow the longer aspect of that activity is way more enjoyable, like thousandfold. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that's kind of what well, you're talking about goals. And I've always hated setting goals for myself. Huh. <laughs> I'm not um, I'm not a huge planner I guess um even in band and music I would always say like what my goals are but I wasn't adamantly set to live up to those goals if something else came up I I'm fine switching over to maybe trying this um yeah so it's with the hiking it's just being there that that's the best thing about it it's not getting the goal it's just being there Okay, I'm curious now. You said you're not the quote-unquote best at setting goals. As you've continued to hike, has that changed? Have, have you now wanted to set goals or have you just kind of sunk into the feeling and being like, no, I'm okay with just seeing where life takes me? Has there been a change in that mentality? Yeah, I I would say so because I went to college for um, – well, I got a music education degree and at the beginning of that I was – I very much wanted to be a middle school band director. Hmm. By the end of that, I discovered I really did not like that. I didn't want to teach in a traditional classroom. And I was going to go on to grad school, but then I ended up hiking the AT instead. (laughs) (laughs) Did grad school after the AT. And then I just, yeah, my plans have been changing a lot. And I feel like I'm moving not completely away from music, but I'm moving away from it more than I thought I would and into the outdoor world more. Hmm, but it seems with your name and as, as well as what I touched on at the beginning of this, you still like to incorporate music into your day and your daily, um, no matter what, whether that's off trail or on. So let's get to the big question that's been burning at me for a long time. You carry a plastic <laughs> trombone on the trail. I have so many questions, but before I even start asking the questions, can you just set the baseline for us with... Um, I guess the why and the how. Yeah. So I just didn't want to go five or so months without playing the trombone. Okay. Um, and I was at one point I read a book. I don't know if you know the Barefoot Sisters. I've heard so they of wrote them. two books. Yeah. So they yo-yoed the AT and while they were hiking southbound, they met another through hiker, tuba man who <laughs> hiked with like a 50 pound tuba. Oh, And he hiked the whole thing. I was like, okay, well, I can do that. But there are plastic trombones that are way lighter, so I don't have to do it like he did it. And yeah, so that's where the idea came from. And I ended up getting a plastic trombone for free from um, my mom is a middle school teacher. So I grew up with all the other teachers that she taught with. She taught at the same school um, her whole career. So I knew the band director there very well. And he had a student that left behind a plastic trombone in his classroom years before I ended up having it. And he just asked me if I wanted to take it. And I, yeah, that's how I got it. Huh, this, this story is very in line with the mentality of trail. It's like there's already a story to the item before even heading out there. It's not just, oh, I went to a store and purchased it. It's like, yeah, the, the, the item itself has a story and it makes you uh, connected that much more to it. Now I'm curious is how often do you incorporate the trombone into each day? Um, I know that's a very general question and on trail days fluctuate a lot, 
But I guess on an average, how, how often do you try to incorporate it into your daily uh, trail routine? Not as often as people think, um, especially with through hiking, you know, you, you get tired and a lot of times you're just trying to, you hike all day and then you t- if you take a break, you don't really want to put effort into that break. But um, I like having it with me, even though I don't play it too often out there. It's nice to have when I do get the urge to play something, maybe like a nice view or around a campfire with a bunch of other hikers and yeah, so it's not too often. Yeah, and when we were talking about it, one, I'm, I'm jealous of your trail family. And on, on, <laughs> on that note, I'm going to be wagging my finger and getting a little sass at Dine and Dash here. I don't know if you're listening, Dine and Dash, but I'm wagging my finger and getting my sass game up, like you said, um, for not telling me about <laughs> that you hiked so much with her and not telling me some of the I'll stories. Make sure, <laughs> I'll make sure he listens to this. Okay, tell him, well, he's going to hear this. I'm working on my sass game and... I'm sorry, Don and Dash. You're the you're the first uh, person to get the sassiness with it. But yeah, you didn't tell me any of the stories. So I guess I want I want to hear some stories of the trombone um, being used and maybe uplifting some spirits when the people around you had a hard day. Um, would you use it at different moments to yeah change your thought trajectory, change those around you? How, how would you use it sometimes? Well, I'd say for the most part, I played it more when I was by myself okay. um, but I mean obviously if people see a trombone they a plastic trombone they want to hear what it sounds like so if someone asked I would play something for them mm-hmm. but you asking that question that like brought up a memory from the AT that I haven't thought about for a while I think it was hiking out of hot springs and there was a shelter 11 miles out and yeah. that hike if you're going northbound Ooh. that hike it's a it's a tough one and it was like really really hot that day so i just did 11 miles i stopped there and so i was just hanging out had the trombone out at one point and some guy come is hiking into the into the campground area comes over this hill sees the trombone and immediately starts like yelling at me it's like you're real this is real like (laughs) thank you for being real (laughs) i guess someone told him he didn't quite believe them and then (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was just kind of a funny moment. <laughs> yeah, because it's amazing the hiking communication network, especially on the AT. Um, now with oh, yeah. fo- now with phones, it's a little bit easier. But like, just I've talked to people that hiked it in the eighties, the nineties, and like the word of mouth and kind of like the massive game of telephone down the trail. Somebody can know about you that's like a thousand miles back and being like, "Oh, I can't wait until I run into this hiker. I can't wait until I run into this hiker." So you probably made that guy's day. Yeah, yeah, I think it's easy to do that when you have a more obscure instrument for the outdoors. <laughs> yes. The ATU meet people that kind of carry, in my in my experience, I've met people that carried, what was it? It was like, there was some guy named Trekaroni, and I don't know where he's been because I've been looking for him, but there was some guy <laughs> named Trekaroni that like carried two foot long tubes of pepperoni duct taped to his trekking poles, and I thought it was a myth until I met him and it was absolutely glorious. Did he eat them or were they just there? See, that's what I don't know. I got to meet him, <laughs> but they didn't have any bite marks out of them. It's not like they were open. I, I, I'm assuming at some point it became a gimmick and that's just what he did and maybe had extra pepperoni in reserve in his pack. I'm I'm as curious as you. That's why I've been looking for him. I've been trying to Google him and be like, <laughs> I want him on the show. I need to talk to him about these tubes of pepperoni he carries around well yeah i hope you find him i want to hear about that (laughs) i know oh man so i i'm not much i don't ask this question often because everybody carries their own weight in their pack and it's if you if you're comfortable with it you're comfortable with it so it's not something that really i ask that often but i'm curious how much did the trombone weigh Uh, so the trombone it's 1.2 miles two pounds okay. but with the case so on the Appalachian Trail I I kind of put it on my pack a different way on the AT and between in the CDT um, so the AT I had it still in the case because the um, pack that I was using it didn't the side pockets weren't very big so like the pieces couldn't fit in the side pocket so I just kept it in the case and kept it attached with some straps just kind of diagonally along the back hmm. So the trombone by itself is 1.2. With the case, it was 
Ooh, okay, got, got a little heavy yeah. on there. <laughs> yeah, but then on the CDT, I got a more, I went from an Osprey pack to a more ultralight one. Okay. Um, and the, the side pockets worked really well. So I just, because the trombone comes apart into two pieces. So mm-hmm. I was able to keep those two pieces apart and just put them in both side pockets. And that worked out very well. And at a certain point, like even if it, yeah, weighed three pounds, this is why I don't ask the weight question is because for the most part, if it gives a hiker joy and gives a hiker comfort and benefits their hike, who really cares about the weight? Wait, I know you're you're probably listening and being like, no, it was heavy at some points, but did you find yourself, I guess what I'm asking there is, did you find yourself upset sometimes that you had an extra three pounds on your back or did it just become so part of your routine and give you that happiness that it was just part of your kit, part of your hiking uh, wardrobe? Uh, There was really only one moment on the AT where I was kind of upset with it. (laughs) Um, I don't remember which shelter, but I know it was in the Smokies. Um, And I was about to, I think it was, I was about to go into Newfound Gap to resupply. And I was trying to figure out a way to attach to trombone, like without the pack, uh, without the case. But there was really no way to do that with anything that I had on hand. Um, so I just gave up on that idea and just accepted it and I was fine with it the rest of the time. Hmm. I, again, I have so many questions. I, I'm sorry for hyper-focusing on the trombone. We will get to other questions, I promise. But, but um, with the AT as well, there are some good kind of climbs to the, oh, best question. It just popped into my head before I got on a different tangent. The Mahusik Notch, what'd you do there? I don't think I played in Mahusik Notch. Uh, we just kind of hiked right through it. Um, we actually, or my, or me and my trail family, we hiked through there pretty quickly after we had a snowball fight. <laughs> Great. Yeah, that, that's, it seems very in line with uh, the conversation I had with Don and Dash, just having fun. So yeah. it, did, it didn't get caught in the boulder fields. It didn't get caught when you had to like crawl through those like little crevices in the Mahusik Notch. It didn't, it didn't impede the movement. Okay. Yeah, so um, some of the guys I was hiking with, they uh, they were able to get through those smaller ones with their pack still on. Yeah. I had to take my pack off during those and just dragged it behind me, and it worked out fine. Huh. Okay. Um, it would get, just because I had it diagonal, diagonally on the back, the top part of it kind of stuck up a little bit. So sometimes I would snag on, like, branches hanging down or a bush or whatever, but... Mm-hmm. Overall, it, it wasn't too bad. There were a couple of times that it got stuck on something a little bit stronger and it pulled me back and almost knocked me over, but that wasn't that didn't happen too often. Okay, so it kind of let, let you kept cruising. I'm also yeah curious, as we were talking about, is like, yeah, the kind of myth spreads down the trail. When you were arriving into towns, I don't know how often you stayed at hostels or whatnot, but would hostel owners, if you did stay at the hostels, know you before you arrived? Would they be like, oh, I've been hearing stories about you? Uh, I'm sure there was one or two that probably did. Um, there was another one who knew me through another reason, because my mom and stepdad met at a hostel along the Appalachian Trail. Oh, well, <laughs> um, I want to talk about yeah. that story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so I don't know if you know Mountain Harbor, Hostel B and B, the Tennessee. Um, that's I mean even before she met Andy, that was one of, that was my favorite hostel because they have the best breakfast on the entire Appalachian Trail. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they were in a meetup backpacking group, and I guess they had oversold their beds, and they ended up in one of the B and B rooms together. My mom slept on the bed, and they brought in a cot for Andy to sleep in, and that was that was the day they met. Oh, that's a very cute meet meetup story. It, 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 it is. It's very cute. <laughs> it's so a chance. It's so much chance. It's not like they were going out on a specific date. It's just. No, we ended up sharing a room and we hit it off. That That's really sweet. Is Mountain Harbor one of the hostels run by um, Miss Janet's family? Or am I mistaken there? I don't think so. Okay. Mountain Harbor. I got I to gotta look into that one. So, okay. Let's bounce from the AT a little bit over to the CDT that you hiked in 2021. Still carrying the trombone. In the desert, did you ever try to make it 
make it with a rain song, make a rain dance so that there would actually be water? <laughs> no, that was a, that's a good idea. I didn't even think about that. Darn, <laughs> there were a couple time. of rain dances done by yeah. my trail family, but um, didn't think to incorporate the trombone in that for whatever reason. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, again, we don't usually focus so much on trail, and yeah, we'll definitely get to more of the questions here, but I would be curious to hear your perspective because growing up on the East Coast, um, I did as well, and then transitioning to an out west trail after through hiking the AT, after having a lot of these hikes when you were younger, it's pretty vast and pretty open. What were your feelings from that transition? Um, yeah, what were your feelings from transition from the East Coast hiking out to the West Coast hiking on the CDT? Uh, well, I, I loved it. I love it out here. Um, yeah, I moved to Colorado three weeks after I finished the Appalachian Trail. Wow. So I had been out here for about three years before I hiked the CDT. And that's probably the reason why I hiked that one, like before the PCT, because I was already here and wanted to hike the trail that was closer to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I was excited for it. I was, I mean, I had been living at higher altitudes for a few years and I knew how to deal with it on a hike so I wasn't really worried about that part and it was nice I I love the Appalachian Trail I think the Green Tunnel is absolutely beautiful Mm -hmm. and I really take offense to PCT hikers when they say they don't want to hike the AT because they don't (laughs) think it'll be a pretty trail (laughs) I really hate I've heard so many people say that and it's just not true Um, but it was nice to get something different where you're on a trail with more expanse views Yes. Both trails are beautiful, but just in their own ways. Okay, so living out there prior to the hike gave you kind of that acclimation period because, again, I love out west hiking and it's started to transition to be the ones that I pursue the most. But when I transitioned from the AT to the PCT, I, I don't know if the correct term is nervousness, but there was like all of a sudden you're out of the trees and you're just in vast, vast there was a certain unease I had for the first few days because I wasn't being quote unquote hugged by the trees. It, it was a weird feeling. Did you experience any of that? I don't know. I, I didn't experience that. I can understand. I can understand where that's coming from because it's me a completely different part of the U S. Um, I, I think I do kind of understand that because it's a little bit more, I guess maybe a little more cozy. Yeah. On the AT, because you get a lot more coverage. So if it is storming, you're not out in the open anywhere. Yeah. And then CDT, PCT, you get a lot more. You can see a lot more, but then you're also exposed a lot more. So if weather starts turning bad, that can that can really lead to bad situations. Yeah, and I couldn't put it. I couldn't put my finger on it for the longest time, and I'm like what is this kind of nagging feeling in the back of my head? It's like consistently throughout these days until I was like, aha, it's just, I'm learning to be okay with being able to see 20 miles ahead of me with being okay with not having the shelter around me constantly. And yeah, like I said, I grew to really love that type of experience. And it's both, like you said, East coast has a special beauty to it. West coast has a special beauty to it. Right. The CDT, I want to I wanna get into that a little bit more. 2021, I'm not, I wasn't super familiar with that class, with that year. Did you have a lot of hazardous travel um, in 2021 on your thru-hike? Was there a lot of snowpack? Was there a lot of fire? Kind of walk me through the, the year a little bit. Yeah, so snow wasn't too much of a problem. Um, in Glacier, that was really the only spot we were kind of worried about at the beginning. But there was only one pass that had a bunch of snow, and um, it ended up being a little bit easier for me and Diana Dash, who I hiked the trail with. Wagging my finger at you. Uh, we en- <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so we ended up hiking northbound through Glacier, even though we were hiking the trail south, but just with the permit system in Glacier, um, us doing it north worked out better for us and we had a friend of mine from the AT that just moved to Montana who was able to give us rides around so he picked us up from the northern terminus and took us back to the southern part of Glacier so we can continue south so it worked out really well for us hmm. but going northbound through there um, it's called Pegan Pass okay. so we were going down from that and for us going north in 
we were going down the part with the snow um, and it just kind of zigzags back and forth over this snow and ice sheet. And at one point we were just getting annoyed with it. Um, and we ended up just kind of cutting through it. And I think we, I wanted to try glissading down it, but it was super steep. So we decided against that and just had our ice axes out ready just in case something happened. But that was really the hardest part with snow we had to deal with and then further south in the San Juans in Colorado we we cut it really close but we ended up getting off of like the main San Juans trail up on the ridge line we hiked down into the valley and I ended up having an absolutely beautiful hike through the valley because it's like it was peak fall in Colorado at that point it was in September these just were, they were at the peak of changing colors so it was just beautiful and we were hiking down below the mountains we could see snow falling on the <laughs> mountains where we would have been so we knew we made a good choice with that mm-hmm. but fires that was definitely the biggest issue of weather that we had um so in montana a lot of CDT hikers this year took what's called the Big Sky Alternate. Okay. And we I really wanted to hike through Anaconda because a lot of past hikers told me about it and said, you have to go through here. It's a really cool town. So we ended up not taking that alternate and hiking through Anaconda. And because of that, we had to, there was a fire closure ahead of that there. So taking Big Sky, would you would avoid that. And then we, to avoid the fire, we had to take a road walk mm-hmm. that was about 100 miles long <laughs> around it. Yeah, so the road walking part wasn't so great. <laughs> but we walked through some really cool, like just these tiny, tiny towns. Okay. But uh, we had some really good times in them. Like Wisdom, Montana is a cool little town. They have like two or three restaurants there, I think. And only one of them was open while we were there. (laughs) But everyone there was super nice to us. We found a nice place to stay for the night. And um, even with the road walking, we had a good time through there. We weren't the only ones who took that route. There were a lot of other people around us. So I'm, I'm happy with the route that we ended up taking. But it was just super smoky from the fires because we were a little bit closer to it. Um, so we went a little while without having like perfectly clear views. Most of the views we were seeing was there was just a bit of smoke in the air. Hmm. It might have been, I don't know if Wisdom is a place we passed through, but it might have been a roadwalk that my trail family and I had to even take back in 18 when we were on the CDT um, so did you go through Sula or close to Sula, Darby? That's not a familiar name. Okay. So we went through Wisdom, Jackson, Grants, oh, okay. and then back to up to Bannock Pass where we connected back to the CDT. Okay. So what you did is you stayed on the other side of the mountain range. Um, our trail family had to do a road walk from, I think it was, oh, it's not Lima. It's the place, I'm going to butcher the name. I forget. It starts with an L. Um, Larry. Ledor? Might be Ledor. Ledor? Might be Ledor. Um, I think so. That's okay. where Bannock Pass, like that's where the yeah. resupply from Bannock Pass is. Yeah, is Ledor the place that has that little hostel in town and I think Larry runs it? Maybe? I don't think so. Okay. I think there was only an RV park that didn't want to um, let through hikers stay there because someone, one hiker did something bad there, so they didn't mm-hmm. want to take anyone else. Okay, I think it's Ledor, and I think there was a hostel there, but it's a pretty popular hostel, so if you're saying Ledor doesn't have one, it's not, but that's beyond the point. Um, we had to walk from <laughs> we had to walk from one town there because we had like that same fire area up towards Darby, and we had like a hundred mile road walk. I think that just that place, that general area just gets hammered by fires. Um, if you go in yeah, Sobo Nobo, it's just hard to hit that at a perfect time to avoid fire closures. Yeah. Are you thinking of possibly, you've done two, you've done two. Are you thinking of that third one? Uh, 100%. That's all I'm thinking about. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. I'm hoping next year it'll be a possibility, but we'll, we'll see. 
Okay, for, for people that didn't pick that up, and I think most people that listen to this would pick that up, we are talking about the Pacific Crest Trail. Two of the, two of the big three done, that PCT is going to be yeah, bouncing around the head quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. I hear. I heard um, while I was hiking the Appalachian Trail, I heard a lot of people say, "You either hike one or you hike three of them." Yes. Most people, not a lot of people, hike only two. Yes, and it's very true, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. From people I've met, it, that's exactly what what happens. It gets very ingrained into your mentality, your body. It gets ingrained into your soul. It's just like. I like suffering out there. Let me go suffer a little bit more. (laughs) Um, Speaking of the feelings, I guess we didn't touch on this. I'm going to try to wrap wrap this up here shortly about speaking about trail on the off-trail show. But (laughs) on the AT, so you had about a three-year gap, and I know you went to grad school. But I guess what I'm curious is within that three-year gap, how did you manage the feelings of missing trail? And I know grad school is going to keep you super busy, but... How did you manage the emotions of feeling of having done this wonderful adventure and kind of that adventure that kind of shifts the perspective a little bit and then having to do three years of quote unquote regular life again? How did you how did you manage those emotions and feelings? Yeah, so I managed it by moving to Colorado. (laughs) I mean, that was my plan kind of the whole time is I just I wanted to get away from South Carolina with my home state, just out of the southeast in general. And I have a cousin that lives in Grand Junction, Colorado, so I had a place to kind of start out while I found a job and a place to stay. So my whole plan was hike the AT and move to Colorado, and that's as far as that plan went. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I did that, and then I discovered Fortinos when I moved out here, too, so that was kind of another challenge to focus on that would still get me outside and moving and doing something I like and I also um the company like the track they're based in Golden Colorado and when I first moved out here I ended up right outside of Denver and it's pretty close to Golden Hmm. and before all the pandemic stuff happens they hosted monthly hiker meetups so I met a lot of other hikers very quickly once I moved out here because of that (laughs) um yeah so I mean, I wasn't super happy like working and doing like the nine to five thing, but I was still in, within a community of through hikers that I could hang out with, go on a hike with, go to a bar or whatever and talk about trail life. Yeah. So you really changed the lifestyle and sought that connection. So uh, how was that? How was the process of finishing the AT? And I know you said you moved to Colorado to... Uh, help alleviate those feelings of missing the trail and it sounds like you did a wonderful job of connecting into that community there but was that I guess what I'm asking here is while you were hiking the AT was that plan germinating on the Appalachian Trail saying okay I'm going to go find a new place to live I'm going to go look for a community that's more in line with this type of lifestyle that I'm starting to to lean towards where did that plan start uh, germinating? Uh, so I guess it wasn't really that wasn't really the plan to kind of help me with after trail life. Okay. Um, I just in general just wanted to go somewhere different because I had been in South Carolina my whole life. I just wanted to change. Yeah. Um, and before the AT, I was going to grad school in Colorado, but I ended up not so that I could hike the AT instead and. Um, it just ended up being just the best choice I could have made because it really did help me with the post-trail life. I didn't really get that post-trail depression that some people get because I was thrown off of one trail community and thrown right into another one of other people who understand what I've been through. Okay, so so it sounds like you already had those connections to Colorado. You already had that grad school in Colorado, so it was kind of pre-planned without it being pre-planned is like once you finished you had this baseline to fall back on and be like well I was already going there it's just time to pull the trigger and actually move out there physically yeah so yeah and again it was definitely a lot easier for me to be able to do that because my cousin was already in Colorado I was I lived with them for three weeks while I found a job 
and a place to live of my own. So it would have been, I'm not sure how that story would have been different if I didn't have a family member out there. Okay. So expectations versus reality, because a lot of people, myself included, there's that kind of mental, I guess, loophole that you find yourself in sometimes is the grass is always greener um, on the other side of the fence. Um, and in this case, across the country. So what, what I'm saying is expectations versus reality. So what did, what did you expect going there? And yeah, how did the reality turn out? Uh, I, you know, I really don't know if I had much expectations. Um, I was just happy to take things as they came. And being that first year out there, it was, it was hard, but it was nice that it was hard. Um, just because I, I've substitute taught a couple of times. So that was just kind of a default job that I looked for. Mm -hmm. And it's usually easy to get because, substitute teachers are needed pretty much everywhere <laughs> so I was doing that and then um not super happy with that after a while just because the district I was working in schools weren't in great condition they had high teacher turnovers which doesn't help students and a lot of students you don't know what's going on at home or if it's because they just if students don't have consistency, that causes a lot of problems. And then me coming in for one day as a substitute, it makes it even harder mm-hmm. to help anyone there. So I just wasn't a big fan of that. But yeah, yeah. so that that was the hard part. Um, and then like, it's easy to it was a nice job because if I wanted to take a day off, I could do that. But I also, for the most part, couldn't because I couldn't afford to take those days off. So I also added a couple of side jobs to that. So I was driving for Lyft. Um, This is all, again, before the pandemic. I stopped doing that once um, that came in. But I drove for Lyft for a little while. I also watched people's dogs on Rover, Mm -hmm. just like a dog watching app. And um, that ended up helping a lot and I was able to take a full week off from work to meet up with a friend in South Dakota and hike the 125 South Dakota Centennial Trail with him that was a real that was a really cool one and you and you also kind of found your way into a question um, that I usually ask on this trail is too is the finance aspect of how people make this life work and I love the variety of the answers um you're you're your answer really encompasses a lot of people's answers is they just puzzle piece things in together to make it work. So it sounds like you had multiple yeah, side gigs, but was teaching your, I guess, main gig. And then you built time around that for the other side hustles that you were trying to fuel into that. Yeah. So I did start with the substitute teaching and then just because I wasn't enjoying that doing that five days a week that's why I started doing lift and rover Mm -hmm. so if I wanted to take a day off from subbing and so do like four days a week instead of five I was able to do that and afford to do that um that's how that started and then I honestly I did driving for lift doing those side jobs I actually really liked those um a lot more than I thought I would Uh, so it was nice I only stopped them once I um moved to grad school okay. yeah you were, you were juggling grad school with that too that's that's a lot on your plate that is quite a lot on your plate I don't know I feel like when we were exchanging text messages you didn't want to talk about the specifics but I don't I don't know if you'd be okay with talking about the general aspect of where your life is going in the year of 2022 and intertwining I guess your work and your play um, I'm trying to Kind of generalize. Oh yeah, I can I can talk about it now. Oh okay. Um, (laughs) I was was trying to. I just (laughs) sorry. uh, I was just told to wait until they told the other. So I've posted about it on Instagram already. So it's good to go. (laughs) Okay. So yeah, let's talk about what I was trying to make super vague a second ago. Um, Let's talk about that you have now found a way to intertwine your passion and your love for the outdoors with work. So yeah, let's, let's talk about that. Yeah, sure. So I am currently 
um, living close to like Winter Park, Colorado. Um, technically, Tabernash, but it's I work on like a resort ranch right now. I found a job while I was on CDT. That's another story. But so pretty comfortable here. Um, but uh, so I wasn't looking for another job, but I was reached out to by someone who does guided backpacking trips for the Blue Ridge Hiking Company. Mm-hmm. And she told me that the caretaker position was open and that they were having trouble filling it. And I immediately was like, okay, this would be perfect. Do something like this. So I applied. And two weeks and two interviews later, I got off at the bunkhouse in Hot Carolina for the hiking season this year. And I'm in Colorado for, I don't know when you are going to release this, but like it's Wednesday today. And then Tuesday next week is when I leave Colorado. Ooh, exciting. Is is that exciting? I think you've lived there now for more than a few years. So is that exciting? Is that nervous? What are the feelings about, yeah, combining your, your two passions? Well, I guess work's not necessarily a passion, but combining the two essentials of life, passion and work. Yeah, so this is definitely an unexpected turn from what I thought I was going to be doing because I was kind of looking forward to hiking 14 as this summer, but um, I'm also very excited to be working for this company. And then um, Jennifer Farr Davis, who owns and owns and started the company, she was, her book, Becoming Odessa, was my, the first through hiker book I read that initially got me interested in through hiking. So it'd be, it's going to, I'm really excited to work with her and her company. And um, yeah, yeah so it's an excitement at this point because it's it's a seasonal job. Yeah. Um, and I have every intention of coming back to Colorado after that. Okay. And you're going to get to see so many A-tiers. That's going to be so fun. Yeah. And I know a c- couple of people from the CDT who will be hiking the AT this year. So it'd be great to see them again. Oh, that's so awesome. Uh, I, I'm I'm so I'm so happy for you. That sounds like right. That sounds yeah, perfect fit. So, I guess a uh, bounce off of that question is, it's gonna take a little less tangible here. Go into a little bit of more intangible. But what if if you could choose one thing, what would be the thing that draws you to keep living this type of life? What what would be the one passion that makes you want to keep living a life of adventure, a life in the outdoors, a life of hiking? What would be the thing that keeps drawing you back and keeps propelling you forward i think that answers the same for most people it's just the community and the other people that you meet it's it's nice it's really easy to connect with people out there yeah It, it is a reoccurring theme um i think i chatted with somebody the other day about the aspect of just a regular conversation that you have with a hiker whether you meet them out on trail whether you meet them in the quote unquote real world there's already a level of kind of... Hello? Oh, can you hear me? Okay, you you cut off for a little while. I didn't hear what you said. Oh, no. <laughs> I moved to somewhere that I think has better service in my room. Okay. Um, well, that gives I me... I think we should be good. <laughs> okay, that gives me a second chance to cut out those rambles. They were not going in a direction anyway. So okay. <laughs> what, I was, uh, <clears throat> what I was saying is, uh, yeah, the community is a reoccurring answer. Um, and I was chatting with somebody about that very aspect is... I don't know if you've noticed this, or you definitely have noticed this, but um, I, I don't know if you would quantify it the same, is that when you're having a chat with another hiker, another outdoors person, there's already this level of connection that you have just right off the bat um, that you really can't get anywhere else. And it's like a level of comfort as well. Have you noticed that in a lot of the, well, again, I'm assuming you have, but have you noticed that in a lot of the conversations and relationships and interactions you've had with people in the outdoors? Yes, definitely. Um, Especially going to those hiker meetups every month when I first moved to Colorado. It was super easy to meet people because you just go up to someone and you already know that they are a hiker, most likely a through hiker. So you just ask, what trail did you hike? They said, oh, cool. I hiked that one too. What year did you hike it? And then especially if you find someone who hiked the same year as you, that's automatic connection. Yeah. Yeah, you, you find somebody that hiked the same year as you and you get you get giddy. You just get so excited. Yeah. Like, like your body just starts bouncing. And you're like, ooh, let's talk about it. Let's definitely talk about it. 
Yeah, because I'm good friends with someone now who hiked the AT the same year as me, but like she was a month behind me the entire time, so we never ran into each other. I started kind of on the earlier end in early March, and I finished at the end of July, and I think she finished in maybe September, so we never had a chance to run in. Oh no, I'm losing you again. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah, uh, it cut off when you said run in, and then it cut off a little bit. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was just saying that I started on the earlier side in early March, finished in July, and then she finished, I think, sometime in September. So we were like a month apart at least the whole time, never met. And then even me and Dine and Dash, we hiked the AT the same year, but never met on the trail. But we started and finished within a few weeks of each other. And we kind of worked it out that we crossed paths a few times without running into each other. Yeah, it it gives you, like, there's already the broad shared experience of anybody that hikes the AT you already have this connection with. But then when it distills down to a specific year... I don't, I don't know how to quantify that. It's, it, there's a shared experience on top of a shared experience being like, you did it the same year as I did. You probably went through the same struggles. You probably know at least the same people or broadly the same people. There's another level of connection within the same year that, yeah, it, it instantly kicks it off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. So oh, you had, there was also something in there. You cruised through the AT. You started March and you finished July, March, April, May, June, July. You you cruised through the AT as your first hike. I, I don't know if we have to talk about that, but I just had to say that. You you crushed through that trail, especially as a first hike. Yeah, I guess. Um, so I started March 10th, finished July 31st. Uh, once I, my, I had a pretty big trail family and we all met each other and started hiking together right out of Damascus. Mm-hmm. And we all just... I mean, it was a huge group of us, like over 10 people, and we were all hiking the same pace. We all wanted to do like 20 plus mile days every day, and that's what we did. Yeah. And then about halfway through, I got off the trail for a week to go to a friend's wedding. Some other people kind of got off for a few days to visit family or whatever else, but then most of us caught back up to each other. And then by Vermont, we all slowed down significantly. So we were really crushing miles in the middle part of the trail when we first met and then up to Vermont. And then by then, we were we didn't want to do more than 15 miles a day. If we did a 20-mile day at the end of the trail, that was a lot bigger than what we were trying to do. Yeah. Because by the end of it, yeah, because we were really moving fast and uh, doing that but by the end we wanted to kind of just enjoy it a little bit more and take it in before it was over yeah i definitely get that and yeah it can't be understated that the trail momentum of a trail family or the momentum of a trail family really pushes you forward um being able to share in those experiences it, it gives you energy and something you don't hear that often oh man we're getting close to the end of time but something we don't you don't hear that often is when trail families quote unquote split up to go in their separate directions. So like you said, you you took a week off and then a few of your trail family took a few days off. You don't hear a lot of the time that they reconnect. So you all must have had a very strong bond out there. Yeah, yeah, I definitely say we did. Um, I mean, all 18 or so of us at the beginning, um, there were a couple that kind of dropped off during that, but 13 of us, were finished close to each other. So I finished with a group of 10 and then three of them, they were a couple of days ahead of us. So they finished a few days ahead of us, but like the 13 of us, we were kind of the main group that stayed together most of the time. Wow. You had a big trail family out of my own curiosity. Did you all have a nickname for your trail family? Yes, we were called the Northbound Horde. And (laughs) (laughs) it's, uh, I guess a funny story off of that. Um, when I so I was off the trail the longest I was the last one to catch back up to everyone and uh, when I got back on trail 
it was in Duncannon, Pennsylvania, I was immediately in the bubble of flip floppers. So I would see new flip floppers every day. And a lot of them, I, I would mention my trail families. They said, oh, I've heard stories about you guys. And <laughs> Some true, some not so much. It was kind of funny just to hear the rumors about <laughs> our group traveling down the trail. <laughs> I love that. Well, you know, you've heard the joke about Southbounders before. I don't I don't have a joke for flip-floppers. But have you heard the joke about Southbounders before? Uh, it's possible. What What's how, the joke? How many, how many Southbounders does it take to twist in a light bulb? <laughs> how many? None. They just all turn it the wrong way. They can't do it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> such a dumb yeah, joke. I was definitely making those jokes on the AT, but yeah. I did hike the CDT southbound. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I how- think southbound. Yeah, I will say, um, I will if I hike the PC. Well, when I hike the PCT, it'll be northbound, but the CDT southbound is the way to go. Yes, I, I would agree with you there. I went Nobo, but I was jealous of the people that were going Sobo. Um, the weather windows seem a little more friendly. Yep. Definitely, and a lot less snow to deal with in Colorado. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing. As long as, yeah. sorry, I was going to say, like, as long as you don't go too slow, because the San Juans could be the issue. Yes, they could. It's amazing how life works out. You make those jokes when you're when you're on the AT, and then you're like, oh, whoops, next year I'm a southbounder. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah. No, my AT Chell family were calling me Dirty Sobos the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, it's, it's a friendly little kind of game and rivalry hikers have out there. So I love it. Northbound Horde. <laughs> That's a big trail. Yeah. Um, so bouncing into a little bit of the intangible again, um, I'm going to try to fit a few of these questions in and not take up too much more of your time. But who would have had the biggest impact on you in this type of field, um, this type of lifestyle? So it could be somebody that showed you the way before your first hike, um, somebody you met along the way, like who, yeah, impacted you the most that you could even, that lets you know that you could even live a life of adventure and this type of free life? Um, well, I never really expected it to become such a huge part of my life. Um, but it wasn't out of the question, I guess, because I mean, both of my parents were, 100 percent supportive of it supportive of it from the beginning mm-hmm. i've met so many other hikers who tells the who tell their friends and family that like oh this is crazy you're never going to be able to do that like why would you do this um and my parents were like 100 percent behind me from the beginning like from when i first told them that i want to hike the at instead of go to grad school mm-hmm. they 100 percent in on that idea so that was really great and then i said that my mom and I we got into backpacking together so without that I mean I don't think I would have I would definitely would not be where I am now I don't know if I would have got into backpacking without the trips that she took me and my brother and my sister on because it was our trip to the Grand Canyon where we found where we met backpackers hiking from rim to rim and that's the first initial interest in backpacking that's what first started it that's that's beautiful that the family gave that type of support and because a lot of the time you hear stories about people becoming the black sheep of the family um i don't know a better term pariah um there's a better term out there but i don't my mind doesn't know it but people becoming like their family's like what are you doing why would you do this and having that support yeah can't be understated especially when you're first getting into hiking and thankfully, my family showed me the same love and support, too, is just giving that fuel and that initial umph to get you out there when there can be nerves kind of bouncing around, there can be excitement, um, having that kind of stability when you're going out to do something that's so, I guess, fluid is the right word and just uh, free, it can't be understated. So that, that's beautiful that, yeah, you recognize and see that in yourself and the family is that, yeah, that was a lot of fuel to get you going. Yeah, and I know that's not something a lot of people have because for me, it was never not an option because no one in my life, like, but it helped a lot that my parents were supportive, but everyone else around me, they knew I loved hiking and backpacking. Like, no one else was like, oh, you, you there's no way you can do this. Everyone else was like, oh, that's so cool. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I'm incredibly lucky and privileged to 
have that kind of support in my life. Yes, definitely. And like, there comes a point like having somebody tell you before you start something that you can do that, oh, you might not be able to do it will either fuel you, fuel you, or it will turn the other way and just make you like, well, I shouldn't even try. But then if you're on trail and somebody says you can't do it, you're like, well, I'm going to show them I'm already out here. I'm going to keep doing it. So yeah, instantly having that support just yeah, it can't be understated enough. It, it propels propels you forward. So I guess a bounce off of that question from who had the biggest impact on you is shif- shifting to the community that we have talked about, trail community. So how has the trail community embraced you? It could be trail angels, trail family, partners that you hike with. How has the overall just trail community embraced you? Um, I'd say very well. <laughs> uh, I mean, just the trombone by itself people are I at least no one has outright said to me that they didn't like it it seems like (laughs) an overall something that people like or interested in they might someone might think oh it's a little weird why would you hike with that but the general consensus over the trombone from what I'm seeing people enjoy that and I guess like to see a different instrument out there and then besides that I mean, as long as you're one of the good hikers, which 9.99 hikers out yeah. there are good and know how to, you know, clean up after yourself at a hostel and everything, there's always a bad ache in whatever activity you're doing. But yeah. um, you can get along with anyone out there. That's just the kind of community it is. It really is. And, and like you said, it's the 99.9999. It's just vast vast majority are just amazing people but then it's any group it's not just the hiking community any group in the world you're going to have any community in the world you're going to have a few bad apples and i remember having this conversation with i don't know if they were necessarily a trail angel or a local but it was a local in kennedy meadows and especially um you'll you'll experience and you've probably heard about kennedy meadows on the pct it's like a big place that hikers kind of bubble up before going into right. the to the Sierras, and I was chatting with this local, and there must have been thousands of people there uh, throughout the year, and he was talking about how awesome hikers were, but then how much that one experience with somebody that does something inappropriate or wrong sticks with you for years, and then all the rest blend together. So, yeah, it's about being a good steward. I'm a good steward for the trail. Yeah, a good steward for other hikers. So. Yeah, I love that you touched on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I mentioned in Ledor, they do have an RV park there that they used to let through hikers stay at. But now um, I heard someone who did end up staying there just had to beg them because there were no other options there. Yeah. It was so hard for him, too, because they had just one bad experience with a hiker. Yes. It's, it's literally one ripple effect can create ripple effects for years. Um, and it's just one bad one. Like, that RV park um, could have had hundreds upon hundreds of great experiences with hikers. And then there's this one that's like bad and it just ruffles them the wrong way. And then it shuts it down for future hikers. So I guess what, what I'm rambling into is, and you've stated here is um, for people listening, be respectful and yeah, enjoy your hike, but enjoy it responsibly. So uh, I guess that's a Modelo commercial. Enjoy it responsibly? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Because <laughs> your actions affect, affect how future through hikers will be treated. Yes. Yes. I think many, like you said, 99.9999% of hikers can agree upon that fact. And um, yes, I love hearing it reiterated here. So two last questions for you as we try to wrap up this show is second to last question. Another kind of philosophical one for you is what does quote unquote the trail mean to you? Um, You can take that in any direction you want. You can say just the AT, you can say the CDT, you can say the community in Colorado, you can wrap it all into one beautiful bundle. Yeah, what does the quote-unquote trail mean to you? um, I don't know. It's, I guess it's um, a good, it's a good escape. It's right now, this point in my life, it's something that I'm constantly thinking of and want to go back to and maybe slowly walking towards doing more of that kind of thing for like my job and making it a more full-time thing that I do. But um, at the very least, it's, I guess, an escape from the monotony of what, I guess, what we call like a normal life. Because I know I've, I've realized 
I'm 100% sure of this by now that I'm never going to be completely happy just having one job nine to five with only like weekends off. And in the U.S., you know, you get like two weeks of paid vacation, maybe. (laughs) And those kinds of jobs that just that's not something I feel like I want to work towards. I'm just thinking about the trail and wanting to get back to it. And that can be good and bad. Yes. But for me right now, I'm just seeing it as a good thing. I, you know, I see I'm still young, I guess. Um, so I'm not worried too much about the future. But I know at some point that's probably something I need to think about more. Yeah, it, it truly is a blessing and a curse. That first hike opens up so many doors into so many avenues of living a full and happy life. But then it also closes off the regular life the door that's closed is uh closed pretty hard hardly shut for me at least for me so it's like oh man now i now i have to find my way in this life and choose my happiness over quote-unquote normalness for me i guess that's more choose my weirdness over normalness but that's (laughs) always been an issue so yeah it bounces but it's it's also kind of helped me to see how just the u.s in general it's as far as developed countries go, they're not set up to help workers as well as other countries. So once I finish these trails in the U.S., I, I have interest in hiking trails in other countries and moving to other countries and going somewhere else where I could still have like a nine to five job. But because they actually the government works to help take care of the workers, they get paid time off. It's we don't have I'm not trying to get in the whole like political thing, but just being in this community has kind of opened my eyes to that and seeing how maybe I'd be happier living in a different country too, because they've got trails too. Yes. And and I've, we've had this conversation before, at least I've had it many, many times. And it sounds like you have as well with other trail family, other friends is like, it's, there are few companies in the U S right now that put weight into, I guess the most broad term for it is mental health is, um, if you have this openness and freeness to take a month off, take two months off and go do what you truly love, you're going to be a better worker for it. Getting stuck in a nine to five, like you said, for almost 365 days of the year, you're going to burn out. You're going to be a worker that just is frustrated by by actually giving people the freedom and the choice and the opportunity to pursue their passion while working a career. It only benefits these companies. So Yes, I, I've had that conversation many times as well. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, I don't know. I don't know if, when it will shift. Um, I hold out hope because there are, like I said, most of the companies that I'm referring to are in the backpacking world, so they recognize that. But there are opportunities there. It's just, like you've done, um, it's just finding those opportunities that puzzle piece what makes you the happiest. And like going to work as a caretaker sounds perfect opportunity i know it's seasonal but it's puzzle piecing in those things that work together yeah so i guess that bounces well into our very last question is do you see a endpoint in this type of adventure lifestyle do you see an overall goal to reach um i know you talked about going overseas a little bit is there like one goal that's propelling you forward um, there doesn't have to be, but I, I'm just curious. Is there an overall goal that you're looking for in, in this type of life? Not really. I, um, I would like to, I don't have any certification for it, but I'm hoping with this job with the Blue Ridge Hiking Co. that I can get, you know, like my wilderness certification. I'm not sure what the actual term for it is, but and be, like, be able to do guided hiking trips. There's a Rocky Mountain hiking co that just got started here in Colorado so if whenever I come back here that'd be a nice one to look into doing but um I don't see an endpoint to like the hiking and through hiking I mean we all know um that being people have been through hiking into like their 80s (laughs) I think (laughs) that what is his nimble well is that his name yes yep yeah, great guy. If that's that's the goal. That's my goal is just to be able to keep doing that when I'm in my 80s. If I make it that long, <laughs> I just as long as I can keep hiking, whether or not it's my job, as long as I'm able to still do that, uh, that I, that's all I need. I love that 
the best part about this question is I've never asked that question and had a guest say, nope, I'm done. <laughs> everybody's just like, no, I just want to keep hiking. I just want to keep living the life that makes me happy. So yeah, because to say that the, the great thing about hiking is like, I know like um, some of the, I think most of the people you're hi- talking to and a lot of the hiking podcasts talk to through hikers, but it's not like, I guess you we're more on the extreme side of things. And then there are people who do even crazier things than what we're doing, but hiking is not like, okay, you do it one and done type of thing. It could just be day hikes and you do it for the rest of your life. Like it's not something you can do that. Most people just choose to be done with. It's a lifetime hobby. Yes. I I like that you touched on that too, is like through hiking is quote unquote, the extreme aspect of, the hiking itself because you're taking so much time off you're um revolving your life around months upon months upon months on trail but it doesn't have to be the all you can yeah do day hikes you can do section hikes hiking can encompass so much more than just spending months and yeah i think those those conversations are really beneficial to have and going forward we've had a few guests that the shows haven't been released yet but we talk about that very aspect is like yeah through hiking is awesome Hiking is awesome. Day hiking is awesome. Section hiking is awesome. Everything and everything. Everything and anything. Hmm. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to stop rambling because I've taken up too much of your time, uh, Slider, and roll into the very last part of the show where I turn the platform over to you so people can know where they can find you, where they can interact with you, where they can chat with you about the trails, where um, they can learn more about the community. So I've turned the platform over to you. Um, Where can people, yeah, learn more about you? Uh, yeah, so I've got my Instagram. That's what I use almost exclusively. It's just trombone and hike. Um, and um, I've kind of started posting TikTok videos. Same same handle, trombone and hike, but I post all of those on Instagram too. So Insta is the main thing for me. Okay, Instagram and TikTok. I will put those links in the show notes so people can access that stuff easier. So Slatter, I just want to thank you again um, so much for the time and sharing a little bit of the story with us. It was really, really fun. Yeah, I always take any excuse to talk more about trail life. <laughs> well, folks, another week, another guest, another episode. We have been really enjoying sharing these stories and really diving into the minds behind the miles, the minds behind the hiker, the minds behind the outdoors person. We have been loving this format. We have been loving the conversations. So... Yeah, as this show has continued to grow, we have been really loving being able to share all these stories. So if you all really enjoy this show, this episode, this podcast, we would love to hear from you. So please, if you are able, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review, leave us a rating and let us know. Let us know how you are enjoying the show so we can continue to share and we can continue to spread these stories as we dive into the who and the how, not necessarily the what, as we get to take a look into the minds and really see what makes these hikers tick, really see what makes these hikers, these outdoors people, these climbers continue to want to live a life of adventure. So yeah, please leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts, like, subscribe, every little thing really helps us and fuels us to continue to share these stories and to continue to let us have these conversations with more amazing people and as always if you have a suggestion if you know of somebody that you really want to hear on the show or you yourself want to be a guest on the show please email us at off trail podcast or visit our instagram page at off trail podcast and communicate with us through there send us a message follow along get updates on the new guests that are coming out the new episodes that are coming out we would love to share your story we would love to hear from you Any suggestions, any guests, all are welcome. Hope to see you next week on and off trail.